Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. We are almost through this week. Today we are finally talking about COVID and man, we are not even going to be able to talk about everything I want to talk about in regards to Dr. Fauci and his testimony and his the admission that, you know, gain of function research was happening to being funded by the NIH and all that stuff. We're not even going to be able to talk about everything that I want to. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the vaccines now being made available to children ages 5 through 11, even the mandates for this age group coming down the pipeline um, in some places across the country. We're we're going to talk to Steve Days. I think he's one of the best people on this subject, on a lot of subjects, but in particular on this one, because he looks at the data, he studies the data every day, and he's drawing, I think, very smart conclusions about all of this. And he just really makes us think. And he also puts it in a spiritual perspective. He looks at this from a biblical worldview, which I think is really important. Now, I've already recorded that interview as I am doing this introduction. And so know that there might not there might not be um, or there might be things that are said in the interview that you don't particularly agree with, but I encourage you to chew on it. There's, again, probably no one that has looked at the data and looked at the science more closely or few people who have looked at the data and science more closely than Steve Dace. And so he draws, um, he draws a lot of interesting conclusions that I at least think are worth your time uh, considering. If you want to follow all of the mitigation measures that are passed down by the CDC, then you can absolutely do this. We know this virus is real. We know it can be serious for a lot of people. We know that it's not a one-size-fits-all. The different therapeutics that you want to take, the different measures that you think are effective for you and your family, I am absolutely for choice. I am against medical tyranny. I am for informed consent, and I am against a lot of the totalitarian measures that we are seeing come down on people ruining their lives, taking away their livelihoods based on data that just is not there. And so that's my biggest concern in all of this. And Steve Dace, as always, is going to very wisely help us dig through all of this information. And we'll have to do a follow-up with even more stuff that I want to talk about on um, all of this next week. But for now, without further ado, here is Steve Dace. Steve, thank you so much for joining us again. Okay, start us off just by saying what's the latest on COVID, on the vaccine, on Fauci. We haven't covered it in a while on the show. So just kind of set us up for what's been going on. The data is totally random. There is no correlation between vaccination rates and lower transmission rates. Uh, there is no such correlation, frankly, anywhere in the world. The only correlation we can seemingly find to rises and falls of case rates uh, applies to seasonality. The vaccines, how honest can I be? Because it's not my show, it's yours, okay? Um, so how honest, how honest, Allie, can I be? That's my question to you before I, go, I, I continue my answer. Be as honest as you can without um, getting us immediately kicked off YouTube. Maybe it's inevitable, okay. maybe it's inevitable, but try to hedge a little bit. Okay, all right, then I, I, I will use um, this euphemism. The vaccines are a substandard product. Uh, it is not what people believed they were getting themselves involved in. Um, and it's it's in, in marketing, it would be otherwise called some form of a bait and switch. 
Uh, you have an outstanding piece over at Newsweek today written by uh, scientists from Stanford and Harvard, you know, a couple pretty, um, I guess, you know, podunk universities uh, that that go through uh, in a fact-filled piece and just completely deconstruct Anthony Fauci and, and his failures, um, similar to what I have done on our show, but they've got a lot more scientific credentials uh, than I do, obviously. So, so those would be sort of the, and, and we're about to inject children with an experimental substance that even during its its televised hearings, the FDA literally said, we won't know how safe it is for kids until we put it in them. Right. And and if you if you were to go back, in, and I did this here on Blaze TV yesterday, in our overtime, if your audience, uh, if they're subscribers, if they want to go find it, is I went back and looked at the depth of vaccine trials for the polio vaccine. Uh, which was far more deadly than COVID and far deadlier to children, obviously. But the depths of proof that they had to go to go through for the COVID for the polio vaccine mm-hmm. before injecting it into the the children and the general public compared to COVID, and it's like another dimension. So those are sort of the the meta topics of where things stand right now. So the FDA, the CDC approved it for kids ages five to eleven. I can't. I personally can't imagine why a parent would make that decision. But of course, I believe the parents should be free to do what they think is best for their kid. But in somewhere like San Francisco, they are actually going to require proof of vaccination for these kids to enter into public spaces. I'm guessing the people of San Francisco want this. That's something that I've been surprised by, disappointed by, is that not everyone feels the way that you and I do. There are people who love these draconian restrictions who can't wait to give this Mm -hmm. vaccine to their newborn who love the double mask mandates for their toddlers they love it how do you think something like this though is going to go over with most americans if other states try this you know saying that kids can't enter into these spaces without proof of vaccination how's that going to go over i think you just look at what's going on in the new jersey election as we speak uh where you had uh, the video from Project Veritas that emerged just a couple of days ago with a senior strategist for Governor Murphy admitting on camera that, yeah, he's going to impose all kinds of vaccine mandates, but he just has to wait until after the election because they're not popular. Mm. And I guess by some counts, as you and I are recording this, he has pulled ahead, uh, e- I mean, very uh, weakly uh, in a state that was on nobody's radar. You've got a, the state Senate leader for Democrats there. Uh, he just lost his race to a guy that spent $200. Wow. $200. That's it. The Democrat so lost I, to a Republican who spent $200. Yes. yes. So uh, <laughs> these things, it, it, you know, you've had Trafalgar Group polling has shown from the very beginning that vaccine mandates for adults were very unpopular. And, you know, Trafalgar Group, if, if your audience is in the polling and doesn't know who to trust, I will tell you. And now 2016, 2018, 2020, this is now 2021. This is the fourth election cycle we've had that they have by far been the most accurate. You know, I keep track and chart things like this. Uh, They had Yunkin in their final poll winning by two and a half points. It looks like he's going to win by 2.1. I mean, that's pretty close to nailing it. Okay, so uh, Trafalgar Group had early on that vaccine mandates for adults were way underwater. And now you've got mainstream media polling as of yesterday showing the same thing that is trending that direction. Uh, I would imagine for the children, it will be even more so. Uh, but so, but uh, you have to understand, though, that, you know, what you described with, with how some parents in some parts of the country 
are, are just essentially given over to what I call in my program a spirit of the age, which that's mm-hmm. language your audience will understand. This is not a political discussion any longer. It's transcended that. And it probably hasn't been for a long time. That's why for, for some people, no amount of data will work. For right. some people, no amount of science will work. You're literally in the line in the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. You're in a line of families that are waiting to throw their babies into the fire to Malok. And you're the one that's standing there saying, you know, we did this last year and our crops sucked and it didn't work. Um, so why do we think killing our kids again this year would work? I mean, we, we didn't get a good harvest last year. Maybe Malok is not God. And everybody turns and looks at you like you're the last person in line at the May Day parade. OK, and that's I mean, they're, they're, we're around a maypole now, Allie. And I just think we need to understand that we are getting for some people in our country and for some people, frankly, in our own families. We are at kick the dust off your sandals and move on territory where you cannot be reasoned with now. I just have to defeat you. All right, guys, got to tell you about my first sponsor for the day. That is Good Ranchers. So Good Ranchers has seen a huge demand for their products since we started advertising for them on this show. So that means they're working really, really hard to try to keep up with all of the orders. I mean, that's a hard job, especially when you have seen this sudden surge in demand and they are doing their very best to try to serve you um, the, the best they can, get those orders out quickly, make sure that you've got your better than organic chicken, your craft beef sent to your door in a time manner. You know, it's individually wrapped, vacuum sealed, all that good stuff. They're trying to eliminate waste. They're trying to support these American farmers. You guys might not know that 100,000 independent farmers and ranchers have been shut down just since 2015. So Good Ranchers is out there really on the front lines advocating for these farmers and ranchers trying to almost single-handedly revitalize the ranching and farming industry in the United States. They really believe in putting America first and they're so thankful. I'm so thankful that you guys by buying their product are helping them do that. I love Good Ranchers. They've been great for me. All of their meat has been very high quality. We've got the the ground beef, the T-bone steaks, the fillets. We've got the pre-marinated chicken, the non-pre-marinated chicken. It makes our life so much easier. I love knowing that I'm supporting American farms and American farmers. Um, it's also super affordable, especially if you use my link, goodranchers.com slash You get 10 free bistro filet medallions. That's a new offer that they are offering my listeners. Also, if you subscribe, you get that regular box of meat. You will save $25 on each box of mouthwatering American meats for life. Your monthly subscription box will show up on schedule right at your door. So get 10 free bistro medallions. That's a hundred dollar value and free express shipping. If you go to goodranchers.com slash Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. I've experienced that in conversations that I've had. People who don't even realize that they're ideologically attached to a particular thought process, um, mm-hmm. a particular conclusion about COVID, masking for toddlers, um, vaccines for kids. They don't even realize that their mind has been politicized uh, by everything that they hear. They truly think that because they simply follow, you know, a memo that was put out by Merck or the CDC, that they're following the science and that people that are looking at actual data are the conspiracy theorists. And you truly, ac- you actually can't reason with those people because they they are operating from a place of emotion. It's very mm-hmm. difficult, anyone left or right, to convince 
convince someone of something using facts if they feel like they have an emotionally vested interest in the position that they're in. So if someone mm-hmm. believes that they are more religious, more righteous by making their five-year-old wear a mask or, you know, lining up their six-month-old for a Pfizer trial for this vaccine, you're not going to be able to convince them otherwise. But just for the people that can be convinced to the point that you made at the beginning that the data does seem, it just seems very random. There are just a a few, uh, there are a few charts that I saw that really speak to that. For example, in Vermont, there's about 100% um, of people over the age of 65 that are at least partially vaccinated and nearly um, as many people hospitalized with COVID as there has ever been right now. So it's reaching new heights of hospitalization in Vermont, even though almost 100% of their elderly population, the most vulnerable uh, vulnerable population, has been vaccinated. Um, there are other states that show the same thing. There's also the country of France. They have mask mandates. They have incredibly restrictive vaccine passports. Their recent case and mortality numbers have even been higher than Sweden, which, of course, as you've talked about many times, they have no mask mandates or vaccine passports. And uh, that's just a couple examples of the same thing that's happening around the country. The CDC has this information available on their website. You just have to dig for it, that some of the most highly vaccinated states also have some of the highest case rates right now, and then consequently some of the highest hospitalization rates. Again, I'm for people's choice to make the choice that they want to make. It just doesn't make sense logically or scientifically to be pushing this on people when it is not producing the results that we were promised that it was going to produce. And yet people are losing their livelihoods over this. Thousands and thousands of healthcare workers, frontline workers, firefighters, police officers, servicemen and women losing their livelihoods, their benefits over this for something that, again, like you said, is mostly only delivering tens of billions of dollars to Pfizer. Let's talk about three things in response to what you just eloquently said. Let's talk about let's talk about choice and talk about seasonality and let's talk about science and let's do it back to front. Let's start with science. What you described people's some people's idolatrous to use a stained glass window word, idolatrous relationship to science is not science. Science is observation in search of provable fact. Science is a method. It's not a dogma. If science were a dogma, there'd still be cocaine in your Coca-Cola. There would still be heroin in your cough syrup. Your, 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 your primary care physician would still recommend a particular cigarette brand. Right. While I mean, you're science, pregnant. <laughs> while you're pregnant. Science is not a dogma. Uh, two of the greatest scientific discoveries of the modern age that may have saved more lives than any other. Uh, one of them involved a Hungarian a Hungarian doctor who was just beside himself at the fact that childbirth was the number one killer of women well into the 19th century. So he just had a he just made a he had a, a, a harebrained idea one day and said, you know, what if we clinically washed our hands before we started placing them inside women's bodies? And right. lo and behold, they started seeing the death rate plummet 
And he was considered a quack, a nut job. He suggested we apply this to surgical procedures across the across the board. Um, the the criticism he received put him into a depressive state. Uh, some of his actual peers then cornered him and convinced him to uh, have himself forcibly committed. He ended up dying after being uh, straightjacketed and electroshock therapied uh, wow, in a sanitarium. I didn't know that. And and this is the guy that that showed us that hand washing was the number one thing that would actually reduce death in operating rooms. Yes. The other great dis- scientific discovery is Alexander Fleming with penicillin. He was called a quack for over a decade for suggesting that the answer to, to cure to curbing bacteria was found within molds, that they could be curated into medicines. And the first one he curated is a little medicine that became known as penicillin. Uh, and this was the invention of modern antibiotics. It took him well over a decade. This was in the 20th century. Before his his peers would listen to him, they would follow him. Uh, he wanted penicillin to be available uh, on a common basis. A corporation actually came in and patented it behind his back, all right, to profit off of it. I mean, this is the idea that science is a dogma and not a process in, of observable facts and a provable method is where you have now, you have now, this is where you've put this in your Blaise Pascal God-shaped hole in your heart. You have turned it into an idol. And that's what you are describing there. And that's what a lot of people have done. Mm. And that's, again, why facts and figures and data don't work on such people. You have to literally approach them evangelistically. You're dealing with a spirit. It's the same thing if you went went to the streets of Amman, Jordan, and tried to convince them in the most moderate urban center in all of uh, the Islamic world that the Quran wasn't true. You would not simply be able to argue this with objective data and facts. Muhammad was illiterate. We, We don't don't have any manuscripts within 500 years of of when he died how many different hadiths they wouldn't they wouldn't care you'd have to literally evangelize them spiritually and that's that's what you're dealing with here when it comes to the science when you look at the science the number one driver of covid in the world is seasonality mm. number one and it's not even close that is the only rhyme or reason you see is that when it is your time and season to get a respiratory virus, your time and season will arrive. Similar wait, to the flu, wait, the wait, cold, wait, and pneumonia. Steve, Steve, I was told that Ron Death Santis was actually going <laughs> out and killing people in Florida. Is that not the case anymore? No, they have actually the lowest per capita case rate in the United States of America wow. now because their their seasonality is over. All right. And and so you mentioned what's going on in Vermont. Vermont is the most vaccinated state in the union. It's the state that a bunch of lefty blue check marks kept trying to to push at me as the as the control group that showed lockdowns work. Well, they, they had the strictest lockdown and the most obedient lockdown in Vermont. And look what happened. Well, now look what's happened. They have the most vaccinated state in the union, which means they had months and months of vaccinated immunity to undergird and prepare themselves for the seasonal wave that in the north where I live, you live in the Sun Belt, I live in the north, so I'm in the same seasonality as Vermont. Our seasonality just began a few weeks ago. Mm. All right, we're not even in two January yet. All right, the dead of winter where you can't go outside. Why is seasonality the number one driver? Last year, our CDC found over 80% of COVID hospitalizations were vitamin D deficient. Last week, a, a massive study in Israel found that 23% of the COVID hospital, 23%, I'm sorry, 26% of those who died with COVID hospitalizations were vitamin D deficient. Only 3% of those who were vitamin D sufficient died when hospitalized with COVID. And you're not it even allowed to C- talk about that. You're not even allowed That's to right. say that people should be taking vitamin D. 
Now, when Jennifer Garner or Matthew McConaughey asks Anthony Fauci about this, he tells them the truth and says, yeah, I'm on about 8,000 IUs of vitamin D per day. It's the only supplement that I actually believe in. So he tells the celebrities who are more important than audiences like ours. He tells them the truth. But if you and I go out there and say to, to our audiences, please go get your vitamin D level checked and everybody in your household right now and find out what the right maximum absorption level is for your body type and your health profile right away, because that's the first and most important thing you could do to undergird everyone in your family from either receiving or spreading COVID. You're right. We're called quacks, even though that is the number one driver. Why? Because in the wintertime, we can't go outside. We don't have the sun in the north. We stay inside. We're vitamin D deficient. When are y'all inside the most down right. there in the, in sun the south? In the it's summer. When it's 100 degrees outside and no yes. one even wants to get in the pool because it's so hot. Yes. And so this is the number one driver of COVID in the world is seasonality. And it's not even close. Now, certain now what we are what we are about to find out in the north is if mass vaccination rates will help to undergird them from having the sort of seismic seasonal wave that you guys had in the un, more unvaccinated states in the south. The early indicators as you have pointed out in states like Vermont for example are the answer to that question is going to be no, it's a little early yet for me to definitively say that. But the, the the leading indicators now, if we were looking at if this were an election night and we were looking at voting returns and you're looking at what areas are out and what areas are in. And you can already see in the most vaccinated state in the country that Vermont is already struggling to hold back its seasonal wave. And it's the first week of November. We would likely look at each other if we were on a decision desk, unless we were on Fox News and we'd wait, of course, until everybody else. But everywhere. But if we were anywhere but Fox News, we would look at each other and say, you know, that's a pretty, uh, that area, if it's coming in like that, then we probably know what kind of night we're heading into. And so seasonality is the number one driver, which brings me to the third thing I want to address, choice, in response to what you said. Everyone in your audience right now, everyone in your audience that lives within the northern seasonal wave has a choice right now. If you cannot document within this last, within this calendar year, within 2021, that you have recovered from a COVID infection and therefore you have what is otherwise known as natural immunity, all right? I have literally had lefty blue check marks come at me and, and claim that when I talk about natural immunity, I'm making a religious statement like I can't get sick because God gave me my immune system. Oh, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted at this stuff. Me saying, okay. that I'm, me saying that I'm lying when I talk about natural immunity. Joy yes. Reid said it's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, even Trump called it a, quote, strategy last year, as I recall. But no, if you have natural immunity, meaning you have immunity from a recovered COVID infection that you can confirm. And the reason why I would say within the last calendar year is because there are some credible studies that do show 16, 24 months, just like you have, you have, if you get the flu strain in your community this year, you likely won't get it again, but it's a new strain every time. We may end up with an endemic form of natural immunity where COVID is concerned, particularly, particularly with the rapid rate of variants we are producing. So if you have not, if you aren't sure, well, I had it in 2019, I'm sure of it, they just didn't die. Nope, 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 nope. Everyone in your audience right now that lives in the northern seasonal wave needs to know by the, by the time they get, get off of work today needs to be making arrangements to do one of two things. Number one, get their vitamin D levels for them and everyone in their household tested. And number two, know for sure if you've got antibodies from a confirmed COVID infection, because if you do not, 
with where we are at right now, we have 60 in the first four weeks of October, we had 69% more cases, 85% more COVID deaths than we did the first four weeks of October 2020. And no one was vaccinated in October 2020, obviously. Okay. So if you are in the Northern wave, just like the Sun Belt just learned, it's worse than it was last year. It will be worse for your wave or your region than it was last year. So you have a choice. You must know do I have a documented, confirmed case and people in my household of COVID-19 that we've recovered from. If not, this is the choice you now face. You will get on an installment plan of injections and re-injections and re-injections with an experimental technology that we frankly don't have much data actually works. At the very least, we know it does not prevent the spread and transmission of the virus, whether you're vaccinated or not. We know that even the CDC Bloomberg, admitted well, that on Bloomberg CNN back on August. That. October 28th, Bloomberg reported vaccinated people are just as likely as unvaccinated yes. people to spread the Delta variant. That was a UK study, to correct. Contacts yes. in their household, a year long study found. And, and Rochelle Walensky went on CNN, go look it up, August 5th of this year, and told Wolf Blitzer that the vaccines no longer stop transmission. She said that on August 5th on CNN. You can go find that clip on Real Clear Politics on their video uh, archive if you want to go see for it. Go, go find it because, you know, Google will bury that. Obviously. But you don't think that right. it's you don't think it's mitigating the severity and the death. I know we looked at Vermont and we looked at France, but do you think that it's mitigating hospitalization at all? Because that's, you know, what we continue to hear. And in some last cases, week, we when you, right. Last week, CDC reported 40 percent of covid deaths in America last week were fully vaccinated. 40% of them but when you look at some, the numbers. So couldn't someone say, though, well, yes, of course, as you have higher number of vaccinated people, then of course you're going to oh, have I love a this higher one. Yeah, this is one of my favorite ones. A higher right. percentage of people who are hospitalized, but yeah. the number itself is lower is what people would yeah, this, say. Yeah, this, I, love, I love this one. I, this is what I would say to this. Suppose we lived in a country where a majority of people identified as spirit-filled Christians, but we saw an alarming rate, uh, alarming increase in the rate of wife beatings. And the defense was, well, guys, of course, there's going to be more wife beatings among the spirit filled Christians because a majority of the country is spirit filled Christians. This is I mean, no, this is not how a vaccine works. When we when we successfully eradicated smallpox, the only virus we've ever su successfully eradicated through vaccination, we didn't then see, wow, look at the rates of smallpox increase because the smallpox vaccine works so well when that, that's not the point of a vaccine. All right. Now, you, you, when, if we if we all want to admit that these are not vaccines and they are therapeutics and therefore that means it's an entirely personal decision for you, which risk do you want to take? Which gets back to my choice I was going to articulate. The choice you have is to get on this this therapeutic plan where you will be injected and re-injected over and over again. We're already talking about fourth boosters. OK, before we even start injecting the kids, You're, this the, the the at the very best you can say is the efficacy with these things wanes between a period of three to nine months, depending on region, your health profile and that particular strain. And we have seen that all over the world. That's why Canada just ordered four years worth of Pfizer boosters. That's why they're now doing a third round of Pfizer boosters in Israel. They're, they're offering boosters of all four vaccines in the UK right now because the efficacy wanes somewhere between three and nine months. So so if you think, hey, I'm just going to get this jab once to keep my job, no, you won't. They're going to keep coming back over and over again because the efficacy wanes. And that means, see, 
we we have more adverse side effects to these vaccines than any other vaccine in the history of the adverse side effects database. Now, a lot of that is because of volume, because we have injected these more times into people than any other vaccine. But keep this in mind, Allie, if we're going to do reoccurring booster programs, do you know what happens with that side effect risk profile? It multiplies. Every time you every time you go back and you give out another 150 million doses of this, it just multiplies the denominator of what the side effect risk profile is. So you will take your chances with that, or you must understand what early treatments are available to you through things like the Frontline Critical Care Alliance and Dr. Pierre Corey, who you just had on your show, I think about a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to websites like earlytreatmentreport.com and learn about, the. it's not just hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. The data on ivermectin, by the way, is very good, but there are other um, early treatment protocols that are out there as well that doctors like Peter McCullough, who's an award-winning cardiovascular uh, physician, uh, for example, that they are advocating. And so get to know early treatments at websites like earlytreatmentreport.com. And and because you're that, that's the choice you face. You will be getting injected and re-injected, or you need to know what early treatments are out there available for you if you opt out of that plan. All right. I got to tell you about our second sponsor, which is Alliance Defending Freedom. You guys know, as we're talking about on this show, the government is pushing too far. It's reaching their hands into your private healthcare decisions. They are affecting you and your life and even your kid's life in a way that maybe a few years ago you never thought possible. But the government loves to use a disaster and use fear to try to take more control. And there are a few organizations that are pushing back against this. My favorite organization that is on the front lines advocating on behalf of our rights is Alliance Defending Freedom. President Biden cannot lawfully force private and religious employers to enforce his vaccine mandate, but he is trying. That is why Alliance Defending Freedom is challenging the private employer vaccine mandate in court if it is finally enacted as promised, but they need your help to be able to do that. They fight this fight on behalf of their clients at no charge to their clients. But in order to continue to do that and to be as effective as they are, they need our donations. So go to adflegal.org slash make a tax deductible donation to ADF's Freedom Fund to ensure they have the resources necessary to take the Biden administration to court all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. They need our support to be able to do that. So make a donation at adflegal.org slash to protect liberty that is adflegal.org slash Allie, adflegal.org slash Allie. People are realizing what you're saying, that, okay, this is not just one job to keep my job kind of thing. Like, this is um, not only a really big decision for right now, but it has long-lasting implications. And we're already seeing the repercussions of people realizing that and just up and quitting their jobs. The trucking industry is in disarray. We saw American Airlines finally admitted that it was due to staffing shortages, uh, that they had to cancel a bunch of flights. I fly American typically, and so I got their email, and they did say something about staffing, but of course they didn't say anything about a vaccine mandate mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, but we are seeing the repercussions. An already strained supply chain is being even more strained. This has an effect not just on people's Thanksgiving, their ability to get toys for their kids for Christmas. I mean, 
We're seeing a shortage of supplies for life-saving devices for, you know, babies in the PICU and, uh, you know, or kids in the PICU, babies in the NICU. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on that these vaccine mandates are adversely affecting and people are still convinced it's about public health. Now, do you have any hope? We had a hopeful night um, when it came to the elections. But do you have any hope that people are waking up to this, that these mandates will go away, that people will be able to get a new job, keep their jobs, that the supply chain won't be so burdened by all of this madness that we'll be able to get back to some sense of normal, at least within the next few months? Or are you pretty pessimistic about all of this? Uh, both. I, I, I think you have to, and I hate to be the double-minded man, unstable in all of his mm-hmm. ways, but, but we are, we're forecasting the trajectory here of two entirely separate cultures. Okay. And, and, and so you mentioned, you know, earlier things like what's going to get, what's going to happen in California and San Francisco, those places are gone. That you're watching Romans one beginning with verse 18. All right. What does it look like when a, when a society, when a culture um, is given over to its own depraved minds. There, there you know, you you kind of subtly mentioned the hopeful night we had last night. There's a lot of talk on Twitter this morning. Boy, the, the Democrats are they've got to be melted. They're not melting down at all. You don't understand. You know, they're not they're not mel- Jehovah's Witnesses don't melt down because you didn't answer your door for the 13th Saturday in a row when they tried to bother you. They come back for a 14th and 15th Saturday, guys. You're dealing with a religious cult-like spirit of the age zealotry. And so you have to understand if you live in places like California or New York or Massachusetts, you're not going to get away much longer, even if you currently are, you're not going to get away with much longer with this place is cray cray, but where I live is okay. No, it won't be. They will seek to put the boot to your throat and impose this on you in a modern day form of the jizya as fast as they possibly can. You need to get out. You need to look to go to places where the other America, because really these are two completely separate cultures now, just kind of coinciding on a parallel tract with each other under the same flag. It's in that culture. I was actually pretty pessimistic earlier this year. I've grown far more optimistic as the year has grown on that we are obtaining the level of frustration and anger, or maybe I should put it righteous indignation that is necessary for action and not passivity, that we're beginning to figure out we can't just merely wait for the next election cycle and vote our way out of this, that the answer is us. We're going to have to act. And that's why you're seeing the walkouts and the supply chain threats. And dude, I'm the ugly American alley. I'm going to Costco after the show today, one of my favorite places in America, where a bunch of stuff I don't need is right there in bulk. But you know what I think? Let it rain. Bring the pain. I, I want to see you know, the word sabotage actually comes from uh, 19th century France at the in the early industrial age, industrial revolution. And workers there had no representation, no agency against just beyond despondent working conditions. And so they took off the shoes that were worn by poor uh, the poor uh, peasants in France, the working class. They were known as sabots, these, these little wooden shoes. And they took their sabots off. They had nowhere else to go, nothing else to do, no political party, no one would listen to them. And so in order to gum up the works, they took off their shoes and they plunged them into the gears of the machines to grind them 
to a halt. And that is where the term sabotage comes from. I'm all for, let's re-rack that classic Beastie Boys song from when I was a kid. I'm all for the sabotage. I'm all for the shutdowns. I'm all for making, making this very painful on the spirit of the age. Because until it is more painful for them to inflict it upon us than, than it is for the pain they get to inflict on us, it will not change. We have to change that calculus. And I think we're seeing signs now. Uh, the amount of attention being paid to things like local school board elections and things of that nature that would have never occurred before. I mean, you, you know, you and I've worked in this business a long time, me a little longer just because I'm older than you. But let's face it, a lot of our audiences, kind of our par- the paradigm was tune into shows like ours, get really worked up, and then just wait to vote Republican in the next election. That ain't going to cut true. it. And and I think people have figured out this is this is now a, a you know a participatory sport. I've got to be an active participant in this. And so for for that reason, I am optimistic. If you, though, live in those states that are given over and gone to the spirit of the age, if you can get out and sometimes you can't, you're taking care of a loved one, what have you, you're tied into a mortgage you can't get out from underneath. I'm sympathetic to that. Understand it. Man, I started my career working in a mail room. Okay. So I get, you know, taking the dirt road. But if you are in a position where you can get the H double hockey sticks out of those places, do it as soon as absolutely possible. Get out of those states, get out of those jobs, basically get out of the position where you have to succumb to the boot that's on your neck. That's what you're saying, correct? Amen. And push back against it. I mean, I have people working at corporations, friends who are vaccinated, friends who are unvaccinated, who are both saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Okay, I was okay when it was a choice, but now that it's mandated, there's, Mm -hmm. and these are friends, by the way, who are not political. They are not people who speak up about stuff. They don't even post things on social media about the election election, but they're seeing stuff like this coming down the pipeline, these vaccine mandates, either they don't think they need it because they have natural immunity or they just don't like the mandates. And they are starting to stand up, strategize with people who work in the companies with them and are saying, okay, how are we going to take this to the top? How are we going to push back against this? They feel a responsibility even for employees that are lower on the totem pole who also are against these vaccine mandates but don't necessarily have the voice. So I'm seeing people speak up about these mandates in corporations, in school boards, and elsewhere. So I do agree. Like, I want people to get out, too. But at the same time, like what we saw in Virginia, what we're seeing in some corporations um, is that when people stand up within the organizations and within the place like that can make a difference, too. So I don't know the answer. Like, I don't know how to balance that. I want people to get out of those situations, but I also want people to push back. To me, I think, you know, Virginia, since Reconstruction, only went blue one time since Reconstruction. That was Bill Clinton until Barack Obama came along. It had a Republican governor, not a very good one, but it had a Republican governor just a little, a little more than a decade ago. So, so we're not talking about a place where, I'll just use the term, paganism. That's really what we're describing here. We Sometimes in our, in our enclaves and in our platforms, it gets described as cultural Marxism or communism or progressivism. But really what we're really talking about, if we're going to have a, a, a just a blunt theological conversation about this, is this is paganism. This is trying to take us back to a pre-Western civilization understanding and view of the world. All right. This is bringing back, um, you know, the Druid uh, mythology, essentially, uh, and, and calling it a political ideology. Uh, Virginia was not as deeply embedded uh, within that. It was going to be a tough turn, no question. A place like California, we just had a referendum there. 
We just had an opportunity where the people there could could stand up and be heard. They chose not to. Now you know where you stand. Those are the kinds of places I'm talking about. California, New York, Massachusetts, okay, where Texas Democrats are more conservative than Massachusetts Republicans, okay? Those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. If you are in those places, understand you are living in essentially a foreign country. And so you can have nostalgia for it, but all you're doing, your mm-hmm. vote doesn't matter. Your voice doesn't matter on a statewide basis. All you're really doing with your hard work and your dedication and your good citizenry is all you're really doing is upholding and propelling them from feeling the natural law implosion effects of their pagan beliefs. You're essentially providing, a, you're a prophylaxis for them. You're protecting them from the consequences of their own actions. Yep. And, you know, maybe some people, they can... They can afford to stay in those situations. Maybe they're not even working for a corporation that's forcing it. Maybe they're a freelancer, whatever. They feel called to stay and push back. But especially people with kids, like it's not worth laying your kids on the altar. Like it's not worth if you have the choice between living in a free state and a state where your toddler or your, you know, first grader is sitting at Mm -hmm. a desk behind plexiglass and double masked, unable to, you know, socialize with their friends and have a normal learning experience. It's not worth staying in the places that you just described. All right. That's all we have time for today. There's so much more I could ask you about, but thank you as always for lending your insight. I really appreciate it. Always love coming on and talking to your audience and you, Allie. Thank you. Thank you very much. And everyone should go check out your show, subscribe, watch you, all that good stuff. Thank you, Steve. All right. Take care. God bless. All right. I know you guys enjoyed that conversation. Steve Dace always brings the heat, especially when it comes to COVID. So go check out his show. You'll find a lot more of what you heard here, there. I got to tell you about our last sponsor for the day. That is Samaritan's Purse. You guys have probably heard of Operation Christmas Child. It's where you get a shoebox and you fill it with all of these awesome, you know, uh, toys and, um, you know, school supplies and maybe socks, non-perishable items. And then you bring it to your church or a drop-off location and they give it to a needy child around the world. It's their Christmas present. It is for a lot of of these impoverished kids the most joyful day of the year they learn about the generosity of Christ uh, in his sacrifice for them they learn about the generosity and the love of Christians because of what Christ has done for us Samaritan's Purse is an awesome organization that has been serving these children for years and years. And since 1993, Operation Christmas Child has collected and delivered more than 188 million gift-filled shoeboxes to children in more than 170 countries and territories this year. They hope to collect enough shoebox gifts to reach another 10 million children. You know, we are suffering from our own supply chain woes and Christmas is probably going to be more expensive here than it has been in years past. And yet we don't even know the suffering of most people that live in the world, especially children, this very oppressed group that a lot of people neglect. Operation Christmas Child is a small way that we can give to these children, that they we can show them love and we can bring them joy 
through our generosity. During National Collection Week happening this year from November 15th through the 22nd, shoeboxes will be collected across the country at nearly 5,000 drop-off locations. So if you want to know more about this, if you've never made a shoebox for Operation Christmas Child, you can go to SamaritansPurse.org OCC. It'll tell you how to pack a shoebox or you can just build one online. It'll also tell you where you can drop off that shoebox near you. So go to SamaritansPurse.org OCC. SamaritansPurse.org OCC. So I want to end today's episode talking about this Tennessee law. The Tennessee legislature, according to uh, my colleague at The Blaze, Daniel Horowitz, he says Tennessee legislature bans vaccine passports and protects doctors who speak out against shots. And so the article says we finally have a red state that is living up to its reputation. Over the weekend, the Tennessee legislature passed an omnibus COVID freedom bill that places the state on a completely different path to dealing with this virus from the rest of the country. One rooted in science, compassion, liberty, and healthcare freedom. So it includes many of the provisions that we need to right the ship on COVID, certainly much more than any other state has done so far. A few of the provisions in the bill, all governmental and private entities would be barred from requiring proof of having taken COVID shots. They also couldn't take adverse actions or deny employment based on vaccination status. Provides a cause of action for anyone injured by the vaccine as a result of an employer asking the individual to receive it. That's huge. That's huge. It should be obvious, but many states, I don't think any states have taken that action so far. Except in a few circumstances, this bill completely bars any local governmental entity or schools from requiring someone to wear a mask or taking adverse action against people for not covering their faces. We will link one or two of the past episodes that we've done on masks and the lack of data of mask efficacy, mask mandate efficacy, uh, effectiveness that we have, uh, we've talked about before. So we'll link those past episodes in in the description to this podcast. So masks can be required under severe conditions, but just for 14 days and medical exemptions must be accepted. It removes any authority of a local health entity or official mayor, governmental entity or school to quarantine a person or private business due to COVID-19 for simple exposure to the virus, prohibits any healthcare provider from vaccinating a child without parental consent. That's really scary that that needs to even be placed in this bill. Prohibits all use of state funding to go toward implementation of any federal COVID countermeasure. Lots of things that this particular bill does to protect people's liberty. Again, this is not COVID denial. You heard Steve Dace talk about this. This is not a denial of COVID. Like we understand it's a real virus. We understand it can kill people. I know people who have been very severely affected by this virus. Uh, There is actually a celebrity, Christy Swanson, who as I am recording this, she is in the hospital with COVID pneumonia. This is a real thing. If you believe that Um, If you see from the data, from the science that has been made publicly available that you would like to get the vaccine, then you should be able to get the vaccine. No one should judge you for that. No one should say that you're a bad person. Likewise, no one should say that you're a bad person if you choose not to get the vaccine and your life and livelihood should not be ruined because of that particular medical choice. And yet we are seeing, despite all the numbers that are showing that actually hospitalization rates and even death rates and case rates are still high in some of the places where 
vaccination rates are high, people are still being forced into this decision. And it just doesn't make any sense for thousands of healthcare workers to be denied their employment while apparently we're going through a pandemic because they are not taking a vaccine for a disease that they probably have already acquired naturally natural immunity for. And even if they have it, still has an over 99% survival rate. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We just got to think, think hard about this. And so good for Tennessee. Good for Tennessee for this bill. There's also Joni Ernst. She's a Republican in Congress. She's a senator, and uh, she has introduced legislation aimed at banning funding gain-of-function research in China. This is something that we know that, uh, unfortunately, Fauci has lied about, and the Fauci Act that she is introducing in the Senate bans U.S. funding for gain-of-function research in China. Of course, this is something that should have been done a long time ago. It's probably not going to pass Unfortunately, even though it should be bipartisan, it's really not. This is more of a Republican thing of really trying to discover where this virus came from, uh, why it's affecting people the way that it has, really looking at the data and looking at the measures that can actually be seen as effective. That shouldn't be a Republican thing. It should be a bipartisan thing. Unfortunately, some people are so wedded to the ideological aspects of COVID on the left side of the aisle. Not everyone on the left. There are certainly some heterodox doctors that have come out, you know, in favor of at least having an end goal for mask mandates for kids. But unfortunately, this is highly partisan, even though it should be. But some people are pushing back. Some people are pushing back. And as we have seen in the elections this week, that can be highly effective. And so keep on standing up. Keep on speaking up. Keep on, as we say on this show, raising a respectful ruckus because it can matter. It can actually do something. Your kids matter. Them being forced into a vaccine that maybe you're not sure about for, I think, very logical reasons, that's immoral, that's grotesque. You should make your voice heard, if not for yourself, then for the generation that's coming after us. All right, that's all we've got time for today. We will be back here on Monday.